What is up, everyone? Welcome back to the Heart to Heart podcast. My name is Hafiz, and this is the third season and ninth episode. And today we have a special guest, Brian. Would you like to introduce yourself? Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me, Hafiz. I am Brian Sachetta, author and owner of Get Out of Your Head, which is both a brand and a book series um, on help it with that helps folks overcome various mental illnesses such as anxiety and depression. Awesome. Beautiful. <laughs> Please don't make this complicated. What about the time wasted on our love? All right, so let's jump right into the gaming aspect of things. So for those of you who don't know how it works, we ask each other three lighthearted questions and we incorporate three random words into it. Ready to get started? Let's do it. All right, so my question for you is if you were stranded on an island, what three things would you bring? And your words are gate, parachute, and bar. All right. Yeah, that's a good one. I would say um, jumping right out of the gate here, um, I'm going to set the bar high and bring, um, I'm going to bring some matches. Uh, Though obviously help me start fires uh, and cook things. I think I also need to bring um, I need to bring, I'll bring a Kindle, uh, and that will help me, uh, entertain myself. I'll have my book collection at my fingertips. And that way, if I want to parachute into any one of, uh, my favorite books, I can do that. And then I think the last thing that I need to bring would be a knife. That way I can cut down plants and crops and whatnot. I could also potentially kill prey and, um, cut things. So I think those three things would be helpful. Nice. Solid answer. Solid answer. Well done. Cool. So this one is kind of interesting. So you get to live inside of a video game for one day. What video game would you choose and why? Uh, So two things. It can be from any generation. It doesn't necessarily have to be Fortnite or, you know, one of the recent popular titles. And then your three words that you got to throw in there are drift chase and tease so if pick a video game okay um i'd probably pick um probably pick mario kart because like imagine imagine constantly racing people like like imagine picture this right i'm in a car i'm chasing people drifting away teasing people as i turn around and get in front of them and whatnot um and then Mario Kart Wii specifically because you know it's got the mall, the the, the coconut mall in there. It's got um, Rainbow Road, you know, where you're out in planet outside of the planet, right? And uh, it's got it's got a bunch of other cool places I could go and live and see how it is. Um, so I don't know. I, for me, it'd probably be um, Mario Kart of some sort. And if I have to pick a specific one, it'd be Mario Kart Wii. I also grew up nice. playing that a lot. So awesome! Yeah. I mean, that sounds like a lot of fun. So. I like that answer. Thank you. That's a good question. All right. Okay. So my next question is, what gift would you like to have been given? Let's say you get to pick a favorite gift for yourself. What gift would you like to be given? And your words are sigh, in, and row. What gift would I like to be given? And could it be anything? It doesn't necessarily have to have like a price limit or something like that. No, no price limit. No price limit. You're, you're All right. Little anything. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it would be fun to be given uh, a trip to 
to Japan. I've always wanted to go to Japan. You know, sometimes you get gifts that make you sigh. You, know, you kind of say, oh man, like I wanted something else. And sometimes you get those gifts years and years in a row, but maybe this year or in a future year, I'll get that gift to uh, that trip to Japan. I'll go to Disney, Disney Tokyo Sea. I think that's always been on my list. That would be a lot of fun. And then I've also heard that the cuisine in Japan is phenomenal. I'd love to try out some of the food. So listen, Matt, I got one question for you. Am I coming along or not? <laughs> it depends on the, uh, if I get two tickets. Bam. Okay. I'm in then. All right. Sick. All right. Thank you. Good answer. I actually wanted to see Japan at some point. Nice. I have other places though. Um, to be honest, like I want to see Dubai before we'll see what happens. Though. But yeah. Cool. All right. Question number two from me. Uh, most of my questions, I, they're a little interesting. I tried to try to keep it fun. Um, so you have to go back in time. It can be to any time that you want, but the time doesn't like we, you don't have to specify. You just have to bring one object with you from current day. Um, and it's going to be the object that most blows people's minds, but it can't be a cell phone and it can't be a computer. So what are you bringing? And then um, the, the words that you have to throw into your answer are a little tricky this time. They are extend, century, and shadow. Okay, when you say... Um... When you say it can't be a computer, does that mean anything that has computer equipment in it or just can't be a phone or a computer? I would say um, it can have computer equipment. It just can't be like your your laptop or your desktop or uh, your cell phone. So it, it could okay. be something else, but those, those two are just like very obvious. So I wanted to make it a little yeah. bit more fun. For sure, for sure. All right, so without a shadow of a doubt, all right, I would... I'd go a couple centuries back. I know this isn't specified, but I'd go a couple centuries back. Extend my arm to the people living back then and hand them a VR headset. That thing is seen as the future of now, and we're fascinated by it. And I just can't imagine sending it back in time. And they get to see that, and they're like, what has this world turned into? Um, it's going to be very, very interesting to say at least. And um, I don't know, I'm kind of interested in seeing what direction VR is going to head into um, AR as well. Um, the metaverse is going to change the world in a very interesting way. So that would be the item just right now, a VR headset. Cool. Yeah, good answer. Um, you are very skilled at getting all the words in there quick. So I give you credit for that. <laughs> thank you. I have a lot of practice. That's why. Thank you, though. All right. Um, tell me what, um, tell me a pet peeve of yours. Okay. Uh, one or two pet peeves, however many you prefer. Um, and your words are mud, ladder, or, and evening. Pet peeve of mine. Yes. All right. So definitely a pet peeve of mine is when people smoke near me. Um, I feel like most evenings when I'm like out on the street or I'm dining outside or something and somebody is smoking near me, I think to myself that I would rather roll around in mud or like climb a ladder to the moon than have to smell what I'm smelling. Um, so I get frustrated by that, especially, um, you know, sometimes it's like I, I used to live near a hospital and I would see doctors outside smoking all the time. And it always, it was, to me, it was like, 
what are you doing? Like, <laughs> I know the job is stressful, but like, come on, man, like eat your own cooking. Right. Yeah. Nah, that's, that's bro. Like, you're, you go, you're solid at this too, man. Like I, I, I picked up a few, so well. I picked up a cube, a few cues from you. So Bam, look at that. Look at that. You already pro well done, man. Um, but yeah, to your last point, by the way, I don't get it either. Um, why? Like, I don't get it. I'm just let me keep it at that. Yeah, crazy. Yeah. All right. Uh, so yeah. this <laughs> this will round out the bizarre questions. Uh, another fun one. So if you had to drink uh, one gallon of any condiment, what condiment would you would you pick? Uh, and the the words that you have to include are center, drive, and so. All right. So I hate being the center of attention. Okay. So, um, having condiments to eat, first of all, I wouldn't do it at all, but if I had to, um, then I would, despite hating to be the center of attention, I'd like to do with people around there, um, because who knows what's going to happen. Um, and I don't think I have cinnamon, um, powder around me. So I'm gonna have to drive to the store and get it real quick. But once I get it, I'd probably have that, uh, just because I feel like that tastes better than any other like other ones are great when mixed with other things but in terms of like just tasting good by itself probably stick with cinnamon um powder so yeah all right so you're doing like the cinnamon challenge times a thousand (laughs) i hope i can make it out that's all i'm gonna see yeah i mean i didn't Um, say you had to survive you just had to attempt it so there you go there you go yes don't don't try that at home folks though never (laughs) i take no responsibility though just do it at your own risk is what i'll say yeah so yeah i just i don't know that 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 would be that would be the one i'd pick even though i'd rather do none but yeah all right awesome thank you so much that was fun um yeah so can you would you like to expand a bit about um the uh the books the books that you've written yeah absolutely so obviously we are uh switching topics pretty uh pretty rapidly here um, but yeah, to just to kind of restate things after playing the game is basically so um, I write about mental health on the side as a as my full time job. I'm a software developer. So it's kind of interesting where like, um, I'll talk to a lot of different folks, and they'll be like, you write about mental health, like, what does that have anything to do with software development? And in some ways, it doesn't, but in some ways, it does as well. And you know, it's like, in the process of writing code and organizing your code and um, putting together different applications and whatnot, you end up developing or finding these different patterns that you sometimes find help you across various aspects of your life. And um, so, you know, myself, I, uh, I have dealt with anxiety and depression throughout most of my life. Um, you know, it kind of accelerated or became more obvious uh, later in high school and then really so in college. Um, and so as things moved along and not only just like in my own life, but also in my career, I was kind of trying to figure out like, all right, you know, I have these, I have these struggles of mine, um, but I've also made some progress over the years. And then obviously each year or each decade or whatever, like you're learning more and more things um, and you're applying them to your life and then hopefully um, creating some sort of relief for yourself. Right. And so for me, it was like at, at the age of 18, uh, I, I was a, you know, pretty young kid. I was in college and I had just had my my second panic attack in like about, I think about six months. And it was one of those like 
eye-opening moments where I said to myself, like, okay, this is anxiety is something that I really, really deal with, right? I struggle with it. I, I can't really skate around it anymore. Like I kind of have to look it in its face and be like, all right, how are we going to get through this sort of thing? And so fast forward 10 years um, and, you know, tying in some of that software development experience, um, what I basically did was like, over the course of 10 years, I sort of A-B tested different methods that I uh, came up with for myself or that I learned through um, some of the books or journal articles that I read along the way. And I said to myself, okay, like I'm going to this situation that I'm fearful of or that uh, makes me anxious and I'm going to bring this strategy with me. So for example, um, I'm going to box breathe before I go to this event. And box breathing is a simple pattern where you basically you know, you breathe in for a certain amount of time, you hold that breath for a certain amount of time, and then you you breathe out for a certain amount of time. So a simple pattern or a common pattern there is like a four, four, four box breathing technique. There are all sorts of different ones. You can change the numbers if you want the, uh, on that specific technique, the important thing is more just like that it's methodical, right? So you're counting it out and you're like, it's almost the numbers and the counting itself forces you into actually like doing the breath, which then helps calm you down a little bit. And so I'm going to these different scenarios and I'm saying to myself, all right, I read this thing this week. Let me try this out in my mind, right? Let me think this uh, kind of way. Let me breathe this kind of way or, or say this certain thing to myself. And so over the course of about 10 years, I'm trying all these different strategies and I'm seeing which ones work for me and which ones don't. And then after that amount of time, and obviously it's a, it's a progress, right? Or a progression. It's not like, Hey, uh, you know, on day one, I was at, I was at point zero and at day, uh, you know, after 10 years, I'm, I'm a pro or whatever it is, right. You kind of, you take some forwards, uh, some steps forward, you take some steps back or whatever. But so over the course of this time, you know, I'm trying out those different strategies, learning different things for myself and really making some progress. And then eventually I had all these different notes that I had written in my phone and ideas in my head that I had put onto paper. And I started talking with different folks and sharing some of my insights and my strategies and my struggles. And a lot of people were like, hey, like, these are really good ideas. Like, you know, why don't you, you know, start a blog or write a book or whatever, whatever it is. And, um, you know, I kind of thought back and I said to myself, you know, when I started this journey, I said to myself, I would, I would write a book eventually, right? I'd figure this whole thing out and, and I'd get all my ideas down. And so it kind of came back full circle. I ended up writing this book. So um, the first book that I wrote is called Get Out of Your Head, A Toolkit for Living with and Overcoming Anxiety. Um, and then a couple of years later, I was dealing, um, a depression had reemerged in my life pretty unexpectedly, to be honest. Um, and you know, at the time, it was like, I have no idea what to do with this. Um, but in the same sort of fashion, it was like over the course of a year, um, maybe a little bit more, I was like struggling with this thing and eventually got to the same sort of point where it was like, okay, you know, I've written the first book. I had this process where I tried things out and then um, I saw what worked. I saw what didn't. And then I synthesized things, wrote a book. I'm going to do the same thing with depression in hopes that I can uh, help even more folks. So that's kind of the idea behind uh that's that's the journey itself and the idea behind the books. The second book is called Get Out of Your Head, Volume 2, Navigating uh, the Abyss of Depression. Uh, and that one actually came out last month. So that one's pretty fresh. Nice, nice. That's amazing. Um, I want to ask you, uh, I want to ask, and I get an answer separately for both books, okay? What was the most important takeaway that you got from each book? Oh, man. All right. So I guess let's take it one step at a time, right? Yeah. Uh, so let's focus on the first book. So the, the most important thing for me 
uh, with the first book. And um, I do want to preface this by saying that like, I throw a lot of different ideas at readers in the first book and the second book. Um, and the important thing to stress and the thing that I do stress in the book is like, not every single strategy or takeaway is going to resonate or uh, with or work for every single person. So if I say like, hey, this is you know my biggest takeaway from the first book or my my prime insight or whatever it is, right? It's like somebody listening may be like, oh, that's that's stupid or whatever it is, right? But there are a lot of different ideas. So this is just one of them. Um, and for me, it was like I went into the first book, and also I went into a lot of my early struggles with anxiety. And honestly, it's like a pattern that you know we have these. Uh, subconscious patterns that we run in our minds that like, they're just, they've been there for so long. They're so strong. It's like, they say that neurons that fire together, wire together. And if we've been firing those, you know, thought patterns together for a really long time, uh, those thought patterns are, are, they're resistant to us wanting to change them. Right. And so for me, it was like something that I do, I still do occasionally, but I used to do it all the time. It was basically like, I had this idea and I had read it in a book um, the idea was basically that if you are anxious about something, you can think yourself through it, uh, especially if it's like a specific situation or something like that, right? So um, the example that I give in the book is like, um, if we are anxious about like, you know, let's say we're in a band or, um, you know, we if we're a singer or a musician or something like that, and we have to give a performance and we're anxious about the performance, the idea that a different book put in my head was to see yourself on stage not being nervous, not being anxious, like performing very well, right? And I think that that idea, it could work for some people. And, uh, you know, visualization is important, right? If, if it works for you, then that's great and you should use it. But I think for a lot of people, especially anxious folks, what ends up happening is like the, the visions themselves. So like the idea of what we want gets so tied up with what we don't want that anytime we go to think about what we do want, we get really, really fearful. And then all of a sudden we're like, oh my goodness, like the strategy is not working the way that I thought it was supposed to. Am I doing it wrong? And then we're getting ourselves even more anxious and we're trying even harder to break out of you know, these nervous feelings that we have. And then like an hour later, we look back and we're like, oh my God, I just like ruminated on this performance that I have to give, this solo that I have to give or whatever it is, right? And like, I've gotten absolutely nowhere. I've gone so much further into the bowels of my mind so the takeaway for me, um, the, the important takeaway from the first book for me is like ahead of anxious situations, it is better to just not even think about it at all to the degree that you can, or at the very least, like just continually fight it off, right? It's going to come into your mind and be like, hey, I'm here. Like, think about me, right? Do something to distract yourself. Like that is where the idea of get out of your head comes from. That is the ethos of the brand right there. That's awesome. Um, so, okay. So when you say... Um, move your mind away from it, right? Do you mean focus on things that are not related to to whatever it is? Let's say let's say you have a big project coming up, right? Or a presentation, as you said. Let's okay. Let's use the example you provided of being on stage, right? Let's say you do have a performance and you do need to prep for it, right? But you can't get around to prepping because of well being worrying about you know what's going to happen on the stage and whatnot. So is the solution there to um? forget about it up until you have to get on stage or is a solution to what, 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 would, be, what would be the ideal solution in your opinion? Yeah. So it's, it's a good question, a good nuance to go over. I think the, uh, it's kind of two parts. So the first part is like decide if there is anything that you can actively do about it. Right. So and a different example that I would give is like, if you are nervous about going to take an exam, then studying for the exam will make you feel like you're going to perform better. But what you don't want to do is you don't want to, you don't want to focus directly on like 
taking the exam, being in the room, the test being in your hands, like being worried about actually performing the task, right? So it's like, if you can study, if you can sit down and cram more information into your mind and give yourself more confidence as though you know the information better, that's awesome. But what you don't want to do is you don't, you don't want to think about the performance itself. And so if like, you know, if we're talking about uh, singing on stage or, you know, performing a, a musical instrument or something like that, the same thing would be, would apply. If we think that it might help us to like practice our scales or something like that ahead of the event, we should do that. But what we should not do especially if we're already anxious about the event, is think about it, right? We don't want to put ourselves out on stage and say, okay, I see myself. I'm not anxious. I'm not nervous. I can do this, right? Uh, When it comes to anxiety, that is a loser's game. What's going to happen again is like the idea of us wanting to perform well is so tied up in us not wanting to be nervous that we can't unmarry the two things, or it's super, super difficult to, and more likely than not, you're going to send yourself down the rabbit hole. Uh, So you don't want to do that. I would say again, like uh, some of these strategies work for some folks, some of them do not. So like, if you feel as though the visualization really helps you, then by all means, please do it. What I find uh, both with myself and a lot of folks that I talk to is that they can really relate to what I'm talking about here. They're like, oh my God, I go into my head and I think about that event. And the next thing I know, the task seems so much more monumental than it did an hour ago. That's no, that's I, I'm I'm completely with you on that. And even people who aren't um, very anxious or usually anxious when they come upon a new environment, this happens a lot. Like this is I'm pretty sure everyone has experienced this at some point. Um, with that being said, spiraling, thought spiraling happens a lot. Um, it happens in situations where um, we don't know what the outcome is, or in situations where we don't trust ourselves to successfully do something. What techniques would you suggest to someone who has this on repeat for like everything they do to the point it starts affecting their whole life? What, what, what would you suggest for, for, for someone like that? Yeah, I think it, it's like, it's almost as if we have to like unwrap that idea, right? So it's like, all right, um, you know, we spiral, we don't have confidence, we are afraid of what's going to happen or whatever, right? And it's like, if we unpack that a little bit, what we're basically saying is like, we're afraid of failure, we're afraid of, uh, you know, looking like fools or something like that. Obviously, like the more specific the situation that we're talk- talking about, the more pinpointed we can be. Um, but if we say like, okay, you know, we spiral a lot, we, you know, we, um, we, we get really worried, well, we don't have the confidence. It's almost like, if, if, you, if I was to ask that person, I would say like, what would happen if you failed, right? Um, it's almost as if, and, and this is so much easier said, said than done. I want, I want to preface this, but it's almost as if, um, you know, there's, there's, there's that, uh, that phrase like fail fast, fail often, right? It's almost like we get so attached um, to our fear of failure that like we build it up to be this huge thing in our minds. And then we just like resist failing. Um, and don't get me wrong. Again, like I have to stress, like there is it is not easy to fail. It is not fun to fail. Like, you know, all the things that I talk about in the books where it's like, oh, I was anxious about this. And, you know, I was afraid that this would go wrong or that would go wrong. Like sometimes they do. And that totally stinks. I am not going to sugarcoat that. But I think that like the silver lining of those failures and disappointments is that you get to learnings faster. Right. And so it's almost like for somebody that spirals and somebody that doesn't have the confidence, it's like, okay, I know it's going to be so, so painful, but 
if you put yourself in the situations that you're afraid of, you will learn something one way or another. And then as long as you still have like the courage to keep picking the bat back up uh, and swinging, uh, you will make progress. It's going to be painful. It's going to be difficult. Um, but, but that is also part of my brand, right? Is like this sort of, uh, I don't know if you'll, I don't know if, if anybody will see it or, or if we're, we'll display it anywhere, but my brand, um, the, the logo is like this snake brain that's like in your face and like snarling at you. Um, and it's sort of the idea is like, you know, again, it's not to glamorize pain and failure and whatnot, but it is to say like, you know, pain can be our friends, uh, our friend, if we let it and failure can be our friend if we let it. And so it's like almost embracing the difficulty of these different situations um, that can lead us away from uh, the spirals and toward more confidence in the long run, right? If we say, okay, look, uh, it totally stunk, but I went out, I did the thing I was afraid of. It went horribly. But if that's as bad as it could possibly go, then you know what? I'm not going to fear this thing again as much in the future. Yeah. And I think that is literally the key to progressing in life in, in every way possible. It's, it's you understand that failure is something every single human being goes through and that it's something you will need to go through in order to reach new heights and take it head tackle it heads on people are not gonna um people are not gonna put you down for trying and if they do you're around the wrong people i'm sorry um but like i have another question for you sure at what point so let's say um we're just let's say okay let's say hypothetically we um complete an exam and we get a terrible mark on it a mark that we're not happy about okay and then uh but we still have work we still have other things that we need to to do in the way and we get disappointed at that work at what point should we be like okay i'm still disappointed but i gotta get to work like sometimes with certain situations it'll like ruin your mood for the entire day um but what point should you, be, should you be like, okay, I'm, I'm being, I'm, I, I'm just being way too, I don't know if extra is the right term here. I'm struggling to think of the right word, but you're just like, okay, that's it. Like I can't, oh, I got to focus on um, the next thing that I have to do. What point would that come? Yeah. I mean, it's, that's another tough one where it's like, it is kind of specific um, to the situation and the person you know, a lot of the stuff that I talk about in my books is like related to emotional intelligence, right? And so uh, for me, like, I think everybody has the gauge in their mind or, or a gauge in their mind, right? Of like, okay, this is what constitutes me having dwelled on this thing for too long or, uh, you know, feeling bad for myself or down on my luck or whatever. Um, and maybe we could look at an individual person and say like, their gauge is a little bit off, so to speak, right? So like maybe you know, they got a C minus on a test. They wanted a B plus or better. And, you know, they moped around for a really long time and it led to other negative consequences in their life. Right. I'm sort of like, I'm sort of of the, of the belief that like, it's, it's almost like in some ways our failures or like our lives, our lives are like, we're almost like, like uh, bowling balls, like going down lanes that have like the bumpers on them. it's like, okay, like I'm coasting off over here and this is really bad. And like, so I hit the bumper and all of a sudden I'm, I'm back on the lane. Right. And then I, I go off the other side of the lane, but I hit the bumper and I'm coming back. And like, um, you know, it's basically like, eventually you learn from your failures. Eventually you learn from the things that go wrong. Um, specific to this situation, what I'm saying is like, you know, 
if you if you didn't study well enough or for whatever reason you got a bad grade if you then turn around and you know you're down on your luck for a long time something else might come along that then shows you that not only did you not study enough or whatever happened in the first place that got you the bad grade that was bad but the moping was also bad because that led to some other consequence right and so um this is kind of my roundabout way of saying that like you almost have to just like go out and live your life and and see what the consequences are and learn f- from those consequences and sort of autocorrect if that makes sense um again it's different for every single person but like for me like i'm 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 a little bit more on the extreme side of like if i get a bad grade the first thing i'm thinking about is like uh, like the emotions they're going to be there a little bit but at, like those the grade will like almost like charge me into action. I'll be like, okay, what can I do next? Like I messed up. I got to go study again. Like how do I improve my lot in life? How do I improve my grades or whatever? So it's a tough question to answer because it's so nuanced and it's so different for every single person. But I think that, you know, the long and short of it is kind of like, you know, just listen to your emotions and and allow those to guide you in in some aspect. Um, You know, our our emotions aren't always correct, but disappointment is definitely, definitely one that helps get us back on track in getting to where we want to be, right? If we're disappointed in where we stand today, then we need to listen to that emotion and say, where is this thing trying to take me? Yeah. Um, and yeah, I actually, I actually agree with you. Like we do need to use our emotions as a, um, guidance per se, but there comes a point and this is like, this is my opinion on things. There comes a point where our emotions will lie to us. Um, and that, that comes after we let ourselves process what's happened and after we come to a stage where we're no more processing it we're just letting things go like not letting things go but like we're letting our emotions completely ride the wave without any guidance um and that's where that's where you gotta like think about it actively and be like hey okay what what does it make sense to continue um worrying about this thinking about this does it make sense and if if not what other things can you do to try and and even if you can't change that one there's always going to be another way out it's like what other things could you do to try and you know level up in other aspects of your life and there's that's the blessing about life is that there's like so many things that we could do to the point spending too much time worrying or being concerned about one thing does more damage than it does harm um, that would be my take. I have a question. Uh, two more questions for you. Let me go sure. first one out the way. Um, what advice would you have for someone in their twenties? In their twenties, I mean, it depends. Uh, like again, uh, so many of these, an- so many of these answers are nuanced in the sense of like you know, if somebody is like, if they are twenty years old and uh, the mother or the father of a child, that is a different experience than somebody who just graduated college, has some money in the bank account, whatever. Um, I guess for the average person, right? So um, let's say you ha- you've, gr- you've graduated from some school, either high school or college or whatever it is. Um, you have some money, you know, you might not necessarily be able to go like start a million dollar company tomorrow, but you know, you, you have a, a laptop and you have some resources, whatever it is. Um, someone in their twenties, I would say like, take the time to like try a lot of different things out, see what you like, fail, and then figure out where you want to be. So that way, like um, just to give some context, I am 31, going to be 32 in a few months. Um, It's like in my twenties, I tried a a lot of different jobs. Um, I consulted for a lot of different companies. So it was like large enterprises, startups, medium-sized companies. 
Um, I write software. So it's like, okay, I was doing some, some web apps over here, some mobile apps. Um, I was trying out all sorts of different th- things, trying to figure out what, what I was passionate about, right? So uh, for a 20-year-old, I would say, find what you are passionate out, uh, about through experimentation, try out different things. You know, um, Obviously, life is going to lead you to certain places on its own. Um, but to the degree that you can, like, you know, keep an open mind and, and uh, experiment and try different things, travel a lot. Um, again, take on different jobs and whatnot. It's, it's sort of like um, when you look back, it's only, every single year of my life so far, like uh, post-college, I've looked back and been like, uh, at the time of the at the time that I'm looking at, I would have said, "Wow, like I'm too old. I can't do X, right? I can't uh, give up everything, go backpack for three months. I can't start a company. It's too risky. I don't have the money. What happens if I fail?" And then, so you know, I'm 31 today. I look back at 25, and I'm like, "I was a baby. I was so young. If anything happened, like my expenses were so small, I didn't even have to pay for health insurance." Like if I started a company and failed, like who cares? You know, like you get back up, you dust yourself off, whatever. So, um, yeah, it's you know the tw- your twenties. I think it's a, a good time to experiment on things and fail and really figure out, like, yeah, this is who I am or this is who I want to become. This is the the path that I want to take. I'm fully with you on that. Um, I talked to some people who are a bit older and even some previous guests and whatnot. And I think that's one of the consistent themes that I've heard across the board. It's like when you're young, you don't have much to lose. You know, it's like as much as you think you have a lot, you know, you don't realize that 10 years down the line, 20 years down the line, you have like unmovable commitments that like need to be there. So yeah, that's solid advice. My last question for you is teach me something that I do not know about life. Okay. I think this is a good opportunity. So we had talked about like important insight from the first book. Uh, we did not get to the important uh, insight from the second book. So the th- this will tie everything up pretty well, I think. So the, the insight is basically, um, so I have to like, I have to make this introduction to this concept. And so um, I'm a software developer. And so in the world of software, there's this idea um, or this concept called the state machine. So a state machine is basically like, um, a diagram that allows us to um, detail the different configurations that a computer system or like an object that we model in computer science gets into uh, and out of, and then also how that thing acts in all of those different states. So this is a core theme behind a lot of my writing, because uh, as I said, I'm trying to marry um, you know the things I'm doing in the professional world uh, in software development with um, mental health. And so again, when folks say like, Oh, what, what, how does mental health and software have anything in common? It's like, eh, you know, in some ways they don't, but in other ways, uh, I try to make some analogies and, and make it a little more interesting for folks. And so in the second book, I, I do talk about state, um, you know, this, the state machine, and then also this concept of state management in the first book, but I go heavier into it in the second book. And so state management is basically the idea that like, you know, we have states inside of ourselves, right? So uh, on the average day, we may be in a joyous state, we may be in an an anxious state, we may be in a depressed state, uh, we may be in a worried state, the list goes on, right? And so the same concept applies where it's like, all right, when when we are in a particular state, we act in a certain fashion. And then there are certain things that we can do in that state to get ourselves out of it into a different one. Um, And so 
we sort of, to the degree that we can, we want to kind of like write our own state machine for our lives or for ourselves. So we say like, okay, I've identified this pattern. Uh, when I am anxious, I do X. When I am depressed, I do Y. Um, and then that way we have a little bit more of like this sort of like safety net or this toolkit that allows us to say like, okay, I have the awareness that I am in the X state and I'm going to look at my list and I'm going to say, I know to get out of it, I need to do these certain things. So that's sort of the backdrop behind a lot of the writings that I do, both the first book and the second book. And it's also the premise of why I give so many strategies across those books. Cause I'm trying to say like, go ahead and, you know, uh, build your own anxiety toolkit, build your own um, depression workbook, whatever it is. Right. And so uh, how I apply that that concept in the second book, uh, I actually like it's a uh, like I said, it's a really core theme of the second book is is basically in this idea like um, you know folks will sometimes say uh, that we see the world not as it is but as we are. And so if if we if we unpack that a little bit, what I think it means is like, we see things based on not only like our beliefs and what we've what we grew up uh, and learned in the past, and you know um, maybe some of the biases that we have or whatever, but also the state that we're currently in, right? Um, so you see this in like cartoons or TV shows sometimes. Like for example, uh, this is such a random example, but um, for my '90s kids, uh, folks that used to watch Hey Arnold, there was an episode where Arnold like thought that he was um, this karate kid, and he got like really aggressive. And he was like trying to fight everybody or whatever. And this guy comes up to him at the bus stop and, and the guy's like, Hey, mister. And, and, and Arnold, like just immediately like karate chops him. Right. And then the guy turns around and like, uh, Arnold, like cut off his, you know, his, his, uh, the, the, um, sleeves on his shirt or whatever with his kicks. And the guy starts crying and he's like, dude, I was just going to ask like when the bus is coming or something like that. Right. And so like, that the the concept there is like because Arnold was in this like revved up like fight or flight state, he saw this person as a threat when they were this friendly person that just wanted to know where the bus was, right? So uh, when it comes to the second book, uh, the concept that I apply there or how I apply that concept is that like when we are depressed, so that is again that's the topic of the second book. When we are depressed, we see things in certain fashions, um, and the I guess the like the the important thing about that is. Like, so for example, right? Like if, if you were depressed and I said to you like, oh, you know, uh, global warming is coming and it's going to like destroy the earth in 50 years or something like that. Like if you say that to a depressed person, all of a sudden, like that is a seed that plants in this, this fertile soil. And the next thing you know, that person is ruminating for like hours and hours on end and is make them, making them feel really bad. Uh, how do I know that I've been through that experience before? So it, I'm not, I'm not downplaying anything. I'm not like looking down on anyone. I'm just kind of ex- relaying some of my experiences. Um, but so the, the opposite is also true, right? When we go from like a depressed state to a happier state, those same ideas um, those same seeds, are, like the uh, our minds, the the soil in our minds are not fertile, and so those seeds that get planted, uh, excuse me, I guess they don't get planted in that situation because we're in the right state, um, and they don't grow. Um, so it's like we see some of the things in our lives. What like when we're depressed, we see them as almost like products of our depressed state, and then also. Um, you know, those same things that we see when we've changed our state, we see them in a different fashion. So I think it's important for us to remember, like, even though we could get caught up on all those scary things and say, oh my God, I got to solve those things. I got to, um, you know, I, I got to figure out what this means, whatever it is. The better thing to do would be to change our state 
and then go back and look at them and say, oh, they've changed. Like, I don't want to look at them anymore. I, I don't need to solve them. Um, I could go on for this, to, on, on with this topic for a really long time. Uh, again, it's, it's uh, something that I uh, really delve into in the book, but uh, state management, uh, the state machine, two really important concepts. Okay. Two questions. Um, first off, do you have a template um, for people to like a template that um, for people to, to write, I guess, their mood under? It's just like a fillable um, template. Do you have something like that? I don't have that yet. Uh, I have a few folks who have asked me for a workbook. It's on my radar. It's just like I have, uh, you know, the schedule is so busy right now. I would love to what you just said, I would love to like go back and be like, okay, within both books, here are the things that like we need templates for. Um, I do have one template. It is unrelated to the things that we've talked about thus far, but it is in the second book. Um, it's, it's this process that basically like allows you to kind of figure out where you're at in your life and then plug the gaps. Um, so I call that the life helm diagram. It's basically like, so the second book, because it's called navigating depression, um, uh, excuse me, navigating the abyss of depression. And, um, I've got, uh, on, on the front cover of that, there's like a, a ship going through uh, a spiral. So that's kind of the uh, concept, the concept of like you know the spiraling downward of the mind. Um, so I've I've got uh, the a lot of nautical themes in the book. So this this concept is uh, the life helm diagram, which is basically we take a few uh, different high level categories in our lives that uh, you know we deem important, and then we're going to judge ourselves uh, from zero to ten in those categories, and then we have like. Uh, basically the mast of a ship on this template. And we're going to go ahead and and plot uh, our scores on that. And then what we're trying to do is we're trying to create a mast, uh, excuse me, uh, a helm um, that uh, is, we want it to look like a full circle, right? Because when we're steering our ships through uh, turbulent times, we want to be able to know where the next handle is, right? If all of a sudden it's like, oh, geez, like handle here, handle there. uh, And we're living an unbalanced life. It's going to be very hard for us to, to navigate um, obstacles on our journey. So if folks wanted to grab that, they could, um, you could go to getoutofyourhead.com forward slash abyss dash gift. Um, that is the gift that I give away uh, in the second book. Um, but I unfortunately don't have the uh, the template that you were mentioning just yet. That's all good. It was actually going to lead me to my second question, which was where can people, where can I get this book? Yeah, sure. So um, the the easiest place to get it is on Amazon, just because you know there's um, there's two different formats there. You can get the paperback as well as the Kindle version. Um, if you do want, if you know, if you use a different e-reader, that works as well. I have it on Apple Books. I have it on Kobo. Um, I have it on Google Books, and possibly, uh, I think on, I believe it's on Barnes and Noble. Uh, I am working on an audiobook. I actually just hired a narrator to do that. I narrated my first one but it was just so much work and I just don't have the time for it right now. So I'm outsourcing that. I may even, um, uh, I am working on an updated version of book one. Uh, so I'll probably have that same narrator update book one. And unfortunately, uh, you won't get to hear my voice one way or another, whether you like it or not. So, uh, yeah, but, um, Amazon and all those other great retailers. Awesome. Perfect. They'll get to hear your voice now. Um, but like, but like aside from that, yeah. Okay, that's awesome. Um, I am going to um, check that literally right after the session because I'm very intrigued by that. Oh concept. yeah, let me. Um, if if you want a uh, you know a, a Kindle version, just email me. I'll just send you a link. I got a bunch of free copies. So 
Oh, you're the best. Okay, I'm gonna do that. All right, thank you so cool. much. Um, but yeah, so everyone, just I'm gonna put the link um, down in the description um, of where to find all his stuff, um, social media, everything. It's gonna be down there. Make sure to follow him. I, I really, really, really already like this book and I didn't even read it. Um, so well done on that, and thank you for taking the time to hop on and have a wonderful discussion. Um, any any last things that you wanna you wanna say? Yeah, I guess um, I would just mention, I mentioned this on a lot of the uh, the shows that I do is just like, if you are listening and you're struggling, just know that you're not alone. Um, things can get better. They often do get better. So uh, keep fighting on. And um, if you want to reach out, if you want to share your story, you just want to chat, feel free to um, uh, reach out on social media. Uh, as Haf- uh, Hafiz said, um, there will be some, um, some links in the show notes. So um, yeah. happy to do that. Wonderful. Awesome. Thank you so much. It was nice talking to you and we will definitely keep in touch. And yeah, I'll talk to everyone else later. Take care.